Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. How many of you have ever been in a fight? I mean, a, a real fight, a, uh, a fist fight, not, not a play fight, not a pretend fight, not when you were jumping on the trampoline, when you were little kids with your friends or playing video games. I mean, a, a real fight, a fist fight, a physical brawl. How many of you have ever been in a fight? Okay, wow, look at you guys. If you've ever been in a fight, then you're a lot more like Jesus than you think, because today what we're going to see is that Jesus, he gets into a fight, and we're continuing continuing our study through the gospel of Mark. We're calling it the simple gospel. We're taking the better part of two years and we're walking through the gospel of Mark verse by verse, line by line. We started it in the spring. We're picking it up again today and we're taking a look at who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and we're learning from him so that way we can live our lives like Jesus. And some of you would be shocked when I tell you that Jesus, he got into a fight. So you think, no, not Jesus. Jesus would never get into a fight. I mean, Jesus, he's so sweet. He's so soft and he's cuddly. He's my BFF best friend. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus would never do anything offensive or upset anyone. He would never argue. He would never get angry. And Jesus would never get into a fight. If that's what you think, then you have not read your Bible because what we're going to see today is this, that Jesus, he gets into a fight and he gets into a fight with a, a group of people known as the Pharisees. And Jesus, he runs into these guys all of the time. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and over and over again through Mark's gospel, Jesus is constantly, continuously having conflict with these Pharisees. Today is not the first fight that Jesus gets in. So far, it's actually the fourth. Okay, so here's a couple of different fights that Jesus gets in, just to give you an overview of what we've already seen so far in Mark. The first fight that Jesus gets in with the Pharisees is because Jesus, he forgives sins. So here's where Jesus is at. He's come, he's teaching, preaching, he is healing, doing miracles, casting out demons, he exercises authority, and he's revealing the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 2, what we see is that Jesus also is in a community group. Jesus does all of those things, and he still finds time for community groups. So you need to find time for community group. Jesus goes to community group, and he is teaching. Could you just imagine what it would be like to have Jesus lead your group? I mean, that would be amazing. Poor you guys, y'all get me and Brandon and a couple other people, but I mean, these guys, they got Jesus leading their community group. That's amazing. And the Pharisees, they, they come and they sit front row and they wanna see what Jesus has to say. And as they're sitting there, the whole place is crowded. A guy cuts a hole in the ceiling. Okay, that's, that's an interesting day, right? Cuts a hole in the ceiling. The sheetrock's falling from there, and then the guy's just like, hey, Jesus, here I am. And they lower their crippled, paralyzed friend down from the ceiling right in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, he forgives this man's sins, and the Pharisees, they totally freak out because they just accuse Jesus of blasphemy, which literally means to claim to be God, because Jesus claims that he is God. They say, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, duh, I'm God, here I am, and I can forgive sins. Some have been told that Jesus never claimed that he was God. Okay, you ever heard that? It's not true. Jesus 
repeatedly declares himself to be God, that he publicly, undoubtedly, undeniably, overwhelmingly says, I'm God. And for this reason, the Pharisees, they hated him. They charged him with blasphemy and they opposed Jesus because he forgives sins. And just to take it one step further, not only does Jesus forgive this dude's sins, but then he goes along and he still heals him just to show Pharisees, I am who I say that I am. The first round goes to Jesus. The second round is that Jesus, he's friends with sinners. So after the community group, Jesus goes walking through town. He comes across a dude named Levi. Now Levi, he is the worst of the worst. Levi, he is the scum of the earth. He is the biggest sinner in the city. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody loves or cares about Levi. Levi is, just think about the person you hate the most and then think just a little bit further. That's Levi. So Levi, he's like, he, he, he's like, um, it's like a drug dealer who works for the IRS and the DPS and ISIS all rolled into one. I mean, that is Levi. And Jesus says, hey, Levi, I'm going to come back to your house. Okay, why don't you just go invite all of your prostitute friends and all the homeless people and all the Democrats and drug addicts. We're all going to go back to your house and we're going to throw a big party and I want to be your friend, but don't invite the Pharisees because they're no fun. And the Pharisees are watching from the outside, looking in, and they begin to accuse Jesus. And they're wondering, why is Jesus friends with all these sinners? And Jesus says, you know what? I'm I've come to be friends with sinners. How many of you are glad that Jesus is friends with sinners? Okay, if Jesus was not friends with sinners, he would not be able to be friends with you. And they're looking at Jesus and they're like, why are you hanging out with all those sinners? Look how horrible, look how wicked, look how terrible they are. Those people are sick. And Jesus says, yeah, they are sick, right? But the good news is, is I'm a doctor. Okay, that's kind of how this works. Right? You can't be like, why is that doctor hanging out with all those sick people? What a terrible doctor, right? Like the more sick people who are around a doctor, the better the doctor. They're sick. I'm a doctor. They're sinners. I'm a savior. And Jesus gets in the fight because he's friends with sinners. The third round that Jesus gets into the fight with is over that Jesus refuses to fast. Okay, here's what you need to know about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they love their rules. Okay, they're all about the rules. They read the rules and the rules about the rules and they go beyond the rules and they make up additional rules because it's about the list. It's about the regulations. They have their Excel spreadsheet. They got the sticker chart. They got it all planned out. And they say, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be holy, if you want to be loved, if you want to be righteous like us, then you got to follow the rules. And Jesus comes along and he doesn't follow their rules. Okay. Jesus comes along. It's like, oh, look at that clipboard. I don't care. He doesn't follow any of the rules. And one of the rules that the Pharisees made is that you had to fast twice a week. The problem is that's not in the Bible, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to do things. They went beyond the Bible and they made up their own rules. So here's what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, it says that on the day of atonement, the high holy day, then you need to fast as you go to the temple and you make your sacrifices so you can be forgiven of your sins. Okay, that's what God said. The Pharisees come along and they say, one day a year, that's not nearly enough. We're going to fast twice a week. God said, do it once. We're going to do it 112 times, just so everybody knows how super duper holy, religious, and righteous, and just how devoted and zealous we are, so they can look at us and everybody wants to be like us. Jesus says, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. And Jesus, he refuses to fast. And the Pharisees, they get upset with him because Jesus doesn't follow their rules. So round three, 
goes to Jesus. Round four, what we see is that Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, and this time it's over the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is the holy day that's to be set apart for the Pharisees, for God's people. And let me tell you this, the Sabbath is a good thing. Right? The Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is something that God gave for all of us to enjoy. In America, we're not very good at taking Sabbaths. Right? Some people, your whole life is a Sabbath. That's not a Sabbath. Okay? Some people, the hardest thing you're going to do in the week is get off the couch and go to the fridge. If that's you, stop Sabbathing, get a job. You work for six days, and then you rest for one. Others of you, you don't take a Sabbath, and all you do is work, 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 and eventually you're going to die. You have no time for the Lord. You have no time to spend with your family. That's not what God wants for your life either. God wants you to enjoy the Sabbath. And here's what the Sabbath is. Okay. It's God's original intention and creation. So when he made everything in Genesis 1-1, he said, okay, I make the plants, the animals, stars, the trees, the sun, the moon, the sky, all of mankind worked for six days. Young men worked for six days. And then he rested for one. God said, I'm a genius. This is really smart. I like this. And so I think I'm going to share it with my people. And I want people to be like me and to enjoy the things that I enjoy. So work for six days, rest for one. The Sabbath is a gift. But religion, with all of its rules, turns a gift and it wants to make people feel guilty. See, what religion does is it takes a good thing, twists it and turns it, and it makes it into a bad thing. God said, fast for, or rest for this day. Then the Pharisees, they come along with all of their legalism and all of their laws and all of their regulations, and they say, this is the way that you have to take a Sabbath. And if you do anything outside of our rules, then you're not Sabbathing right, and then you're violating the law. And Jesus comes along, and he makes some food on the Sabbath day. And they say, Jesus, you're breaking the law. And Jesus is like, hey, you know what? I invented the Sabbath. And so I can tell you what the Sabbath actually means. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. I kind of came up with the idea because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus, once again, declares himself to be God. And the Pharisees, they just freak out because he doesn't do things the way that they do them, that he doesn't follow their rules and regulations and rituals, that Jesus, he doesn't get with the program. Jesus, he's not with the system. And so Jesus and the Pharisees, they are constantly, continually in conflict. They're going to get into a fight. And today we're in the fifth round of Jesus's fight with the Pharisees. Think about it like a UFC fight. Okay, in the UFC, the title match, the championship fight, there's five rounds. It's a fight to the finish. It's bloody. It's bare-knuckled. It's a brawl. Somebody's going to get in the clinch. Somebody's going to get choked out. Somebody's going to tap. That's what we're going to see today. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1, as Jesus is going to get a fight. Now, let me tell you this. Okay, I love studying the gospel of Mark. Right? I have just had just so beneficial just reading and studying this. It's been helpful for me, and I know it's been helpful for a lot of you. I'm super excited to get back in, and here's the reason why. It's because when we read through the gospel narratives, what happens so often is that our minds begin to fill in the blanks. That most of us, we were raised in Southeast Texas. We were raised going to church. Maybe you went to Roll Rangers, or maybe you went to Awanas. Like you've known these stories, or at least you've heard of them. Your grandma's probably told you all about these things growing up. And you think, oh, I already know all of these stories. I already know about Jesus. Yeah, I've read that before. And when we come to the Bible, our brain begins to fill in the blanks. And we think, oh yeah, here's the 
Jesus' birth, and here's Jesus' baptism, and here's the temptation, and here's the feeding of the 5,000, and then here's the death, burial, resurrection. Yeah, I already know these things. I already know all the stories, and we become so familiar with the scriptures that we actually miss the point. See, familiarity breeds contempt, and many of us, we've become contemptuous over the scriptures because we think that we've been familiar with them. So what I want us to do is I want us to, to lean in, to look to, and to learn from, to take a look at what the scriptures are, are telling us. And today is going to be a very popular story. Most of you, if you raised in church, you probably already know this. It's called the man with the withered hand, right? Many of us have already heard it. It's like, oh, the man with the withered hand. It's about a miracle, but actually that's not what the story is about. Yeah, a dude does get healed, but that's not the point. That's not the focus. That's not the message of this message. It's about Jesus. Jesus and the Pharisees, and they're going to get into a fight. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 as we pick up the study of the simple gospel. And here's the first word. The first thing that it says is this, again. All right, let's pause right there. Again, we've got one word in. I promise you we're going to make it through this. It starts here again. What Mark's doing is he's giving us a transition. This is a transition statement. He's saying Jesus is at it again. That over the last couple of you know, verses and chapters, what we've seen is that Jesus comes to preach and teach and he performs miracles and he heals and he reveals the kingdom of God and Jesus has come and Jesus, he's at it again. He's picking up where he left off and it says, again, he, that's Jesus, entered into the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is their equivalent of church. So think about it just a lot like church. So they would get together, they would go, and they would go to the synagogue, all the men and the women and the children, they'd be gathered together to listen to the word of God being preached, to, to worship, to sing songs, to practice community. They were together in the synagogue, and it says that there was a man with a withered hand. Some of your translations say shriveled hand, that whatever it was, however this happened, maybe it was through an injury, maybe it was through birth, but either way, this man's hand had been deformed. Maybe he was crushed, maybe he was injured, but he lost the use of his hand. It became withered, it became shriveled, it was deformed, and he was no longer able to use it. So there's a man with a withered hand, and they, that's going to be the Pharisees, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So, uh oh, okay, we have a problem. Here's here's the situation. We have Jesus, and then we have um, the synagogue, which is supposed to be the holy place. And then it's on the Sabbath, which is supposed to be the, the holy day. And then he's preaching, teaching, and there's the Pharisees, which are supposed to be the holy people. And here's what we see. The Pharisees are watching Jesus. Okay, now, are they watching Jesus because they love him? Okay, are they watching Jesus because they're like, I'm going to hear a sermon right, from the greatest teacher who's ever lived that, oh, Jesus is preaching. All right, I'm going to be there that day, right? I'm going to set my alarm and TiVo the Cowboys later. I'm going to be there for, for that. And so they want to come and listen to Jesus. Do you think that's the reason that they're there? No. Right? They're not there because they love him or because they want to learn from him or because they even like him or want to be like him. It says that they're watching to see what he's going to do so that they might, what's the word? Accuse him. Right? They're looking for a fight. They're looking to start an argument. They're looking to be offended. They're looking for a fight. And here's what the problem with the Pharisees are. The Pharisees said, you can't heal, there's a word, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Now that's not in the Bible. 
Okay, the Bible says in the Old Testament that you're not supposed to work, and the Pharisees, they come along and they say, well, healing seems to be like a lot of work, and so you can't pray for people, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath because that's the holy day, and God forbid somebody gets healed on the holy day. And so they wouldn't let you heal someone, but apparently it's not a lot of work to accuse someone. Right? That's not a lot of work. Oh, to get angry and to gossip and to backbite and to you know, criticize and to argue and blame shift. That's not a, that's not a lot of work. But you know, to pray for someone, God forbid, another person get healed on the holy day because that, that requires work. And so the Pharisees, they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And Jesus, he knows this. So as Jesus is preaching, Luke's gospel gives us a little bit more information. It says that he perceived in his mind their thoughts, okay? That's um, basically he could read their mind, which is a pretty cool superpower if you think about it. You're like, hmm, I think Jesus might be God. Well, how do you know? He could read my mind. You're like, oh, okay, that's good proof, right? So the Pharisees are criticizing. They're looking to accuse Jesus. He sees this. He notices this, that the Pharisees are looking for a reason to be offended, So Jesus says, you know what? I think I'm just going to go ahead and offend these guys. And Jesus leans over the plate, and Jesus, he he goes ahead and he offends them, and he's going to start a fight. Now, here's the deal. If you're always looking for a reason to be offended, you're always going to be offended. Okay, you, some people, they just want to be offended. They're just begging for people to offend them. They're like, oh, I'm looking for a reason. And if you're always looking for a reason to be offended, trust me, you will always find a reason to be offended. And if you're always looking to start a fight, guess what? You're always going to get a fight. Now, Jesus here, he doesn't start the fight, but he doesn't have a problem finishing the fight. And so Jesus is going to get into a fight with these Pharisees. And they're offended, and they want to fight for a couple of different reasons. First is this. They're offended because there's a man with a withered hand in their church, right? Because for them, they're like, what is this man doing in our church? He doesn't belong here. He's not one of us. He's not like us. He's not perfect like us. And if you ain't perfect, you can't go to our church. Because according to the Pharisees, that his deformity would have excluded him from participating in religious duties, That because his hand was deformed, that he was unclean, he was unholy, therefore he was unworthy and unwelcome to participate in their religious services. He could have downloaded the podcast, right? He could have got the sermon notes from a friend. He could have sat outside, but he's not allowed to be on the inside because of his deformity. He was excluded from their worship. Now, this man with the withered hand, he only had one withered hand. So most likely what happened is he, you know, put his hand in his pocket and then he kind of snuck past the deacons and the bouncers to get into the church and he could put his hand in his pocket and he could walk in and he could sit in the back row, kind of pull his hat down, sit next to the Baptist and nobody would notice him because he's in the back. That's probably what he did. He's got his hand in his pocket, say, oh, give him the, you know, give him a wave with my good hand and then put the rest in my pocket and then maybe nobody's going to notice because if people notice me, then I wouldn't be welcomed. But that's the same thing that some of y'all do when you come to church, that you put your hand in your pocket and you want to go unnoticed because you think if anybody saw me, if anybody knew me, if anybody knew what I did or where I come from or what I'm going through in my life, then they will not welcome me. They will not love me. And I am unclean, unworthy. I am unholy. And so you put your hand in your pocket and then you sit in the back row and you never get involved. Now, your withered hand probably isn't a physical deformity. But it is something else, a situation in your life that keeps you distant from what God has for you. 
And so for you, your withered hand, it could be a divorce, right? And so you got a divorce and someone said, in Malachi, it says God hates divorce. And what you heard is this, God hates me. Maybe it's tattoos and you think, oh, God hates tattoos. And so I'm not going to be welcomed at the church because of the way that I look or because of my appearance. Or maybe it could be that you're living with someone who's not your spouse. Or maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you're addicted to drugs or pornography or whatever it is. You think if people really knew me, if people really knew what I was going through, then I would be unwelcome, unloved, unworthy, unclean, unholy. And so what you do every single week is you put your hand in your pocket You walk past the greeters, you sit in the back row, and you don't ever get involved because because you feel unclean. Well, the Pharisees, you can't get anything past them. See, Pharisees, they know all your business, right? They make it their business to know your business. You can't sneak past a Pharisee. Good luck trying. Because the Pharisees, they see this man. But the good news is this. Jesus also sees this man. The Pharisees see him and they get offended that there's a man with a withered hand in their church. What is he doing in our church? He doesn't belong here. He's not holy. He's not welcome. He's not accepted because he's not perfect like one of us. So the Pharisees are offended because there's a man with a withered hand and they see this, but they're also offended because Jesus sees it too. Okay, I just need you to see how ridiculous religion is. Okay, religion is ridiculous because here's what they do. They see the man with the withered hand, they're angry. Then they notice that Jesus sees the man with the withered hand and they're angry at him too. Okay, that, that's just how it works. They're like, oh, Jesus sees him and he's not doing anything. How horrible. What should we do? Nothing. Like, what? That's what religion is. That you want to judge other people and then justify yourself. That you want to accuse other people but then you excuse yourself. If that's what you do and how you live, then you're no different than a Pharisee. And so the Pharisees, they're offended. And so here's what Jesus is going to do. Here's how Jesus is going to respond. Well, the story, it picks up and it continues. And it says in verse three, and Jesus, he said to the man with the withered hands, so he looks at him in the back, see you. And here's what he says, come here. Jesus, he doesn't back down. Okay, I can almost feel the tension in the room, right? Everybody's watching. Everybody's waiting to see what is it that Jesus is going to do? Oh, there's the Pharisees. Oh, there's Jesus. Oh, wait, in the back, there's a man with a withered hand. Is Jesus going to heal him? See, the question isn't about whether or not Jesus can heal, right? Because they all know that Jesus can do it. They've seen him do it. Over and over in Mark's gospel, he just keeps healing people. He's like, you get healed, you get healed, you get healed. Like, he's just healing everybody. I mean, Jesus can heal. The question is not whether or not Jesus can heal. The question is, is he going to do this? Because you're not supposed to, according to their legalism, heal on the Sabbath. So is he going to do it? The Pharisees know you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. The man with the withered hand knows He's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. The crowd knows he's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus even knows that he's not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. You can almost feel the tension in the room. Jesus is looking at them. Jesus is looking at him. Jesus is looking at the crowd. Is he going to do it? And then Jesus, he points to the back row. Hey, you. No, not you. You with the withered hand. Come here. Jesus calls this guy out publicly. I mean, he's got his hand in his pocket. He doesn't want anybody to even know that he's there. And then Jesus is like, hey, you in the back. 
I want you to come up here, get on stage, and let's make an example out of you. Could you just imagine what this would be like? I mean, this has to be the most awkward moment in this dude's life. Like, hey, just why don't you come up here and why don't you just share all of your deepest, darkest secrets with everybody? You're like, I am never coming back to this church again. I mean, could you just imagine what this would be like? I mean, this would be like, okay, all right, all right. Who's got a crack pipe out in your car? Go get it, bring it up here, tell us who your dealer is. How much did you pay for it? Right, okay, addicted to porn. Why don't you just come stand up here? I got a nice little spot for you. Tell us all the websites you visited last week. Oh, you got a divorce? Okay, let's bring it up here. I want to hear your side of the story. Let's hear their side of the story. Right, tell us all of your deepest, darkest secrets. Just go ahead and just lay it all out in front of everybody. Could you imagine what this would be like to be that dude? Jesus is like, oh, you're hiding in the back? Nah, why don't you come up here? I mean, this is pretty awkward, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is pretty, he's pretty brutal that he calls the man to the front. Now, for the Pharisees, they love calling people to the front. I mean, the Pharisees, they, they, that's their favorite thing. They're like, oh, Jesus is going to call him out in front of everybody. This is amazing. He's going to be one of us. That Jesus realizes, oh, this guy doesn't belong here either. Jesus is going to kick him out. Right? He doesn't fit in. Jesus is going to be a Pharisee in no time. We win. Jesus loses. Jesus is going to tap. We got him in the place. We have won the fight. And then Jesus, he begins to turn the tables on them. Right? Jesus they think Jesus is going to tap. We got him. But Jesus, he doesn't tap. And so here's what we see next. And Jesus said to them, he's looking at them. He's looking at the man. He's on the stage. The Pharisees are watching. He turns and says to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? He asked him a question. Okay. Is it better to do good or is it better to do harm? Is it better to save a life or is it better to heal or to kill? Is it better to heal this person or is it better to let him suffer? That's what Jesus is asking. Is it better to help someone or to allow them to continue to live their life being hurt? He's saying, would you rather stand up and do the right thing even when everybody's watching you? What is the best thing to do? Is it better to do good or is it to do harm? And he asks him this question. He says, well, what is the answer? What do you guys think? Is it better to do good or is it better to do harm? Well, the Pharisees, they don't answer him. Right? It says that they remain silence. They, they don't say anything. Because here's the reason why. If they say, oh, it's better to do good, then all of their religious rules go out the window. But if they say, oh, no, it's better to do harm, then nobody's going to like them. Right? Who wants to be on that team? Oh, we're the harm team. Right? We're the team, the no healing team. Right? Nobody wants to be on that team. Nobody wants to be on like, oh, it's Sabbath. Right? You can just go to hell. The rest of us, we're going to Carabas. Like, nobody wants to be on that team. But that's where the Pharisees are at. So, so they either have to say, oh, yes, it's good. And then Jesus wins and everything they believe in falls apart. Or they have to say no. And then, well, everybody hates them. And it says here that they were silent. They don't have anything to say. They're like, oh, he got us, right? Mm. But they don't want to be wrong, so they just don't say anything. So they just sit there, and Jesus, I bet Jesus just let that silence just hang, right? That awkward silence. He's like, all right, I'm waiting. Five seconds. 10 seconds. 
He's like, come on, guys, it's not hard. Is it better to do good or is it better to do harm? Is it better to stand up and do the right thing even when your reputation is online? See, Jesus, he, he calls them out. And it says that they don't have anything to say. It says that they were silent. And so here's what Jesus does next. And Jesus looked at them with anger. That Jesus, he gets angry at the Pharisees because they don't stand up. They don't say anything. He's moved to anger. Some of you have been told that Jesus is a pacifist. If you read this text, it looks like he's about to pass his fist through their face. Jesus is angry at these Pharisees. He's outraged. His face is red. His, his teeth are clenched. His fists are clenched. He's, he's raising his voice. He's angry. He's outraged. And it also says that he is grieved. That Jesus looks at these Pharisees, and these are supposed to be the holy people, but all they're doing is hurting other people. He looks at these Pharisees, and they're supposed to be the ones who are setting the example, except they're keeping people far from him and experiencing the healing and the grace that God wants to give to other people. He sees the Pharisees, and they're supposed to be in church worshiping God, but instead they're in church arguing with him. That they're in church, they're supposed to be repenting, but instead they are resisting and they don't care about people. All they care about is their appearance. They don't love people. They don't serve people. The only thing they love is themselves. And the only thing that they are concerned about is their reputation. And Jesus looks at them and he's angry and he's outraged and he's grieved at their hardness of hearts. They're in the church, but they are far from God. That on the outside, they look holy. But on the inside, they're filled with hate and their hearts are hard. That they don't listen to the word of God. They don't listen to the word being preached by the son of God. They're just there looking for a reason to fight, to keep up their appearances, and to further their reputation. And so what Jesus does is this. Jesus is angry at their hardness of heart and he said to the man. So he's looking at the Pharisees. Hey, all of you in church, judging other people, looking at you. He looks at the Pharisees, calls them out. I mean, they're probably embarrassed right now, right? I mean, like, oh man, we thought Jesus was going to call out the man with the withered hand. And then he turned the tables and he called us out in front of everybody, right? They're probably a little embarrassed. Jesus pops them in the nose and they're like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't want to say anything because then and people aren't going to like me, and I'm not going to say anything because then I don't even really like myself. I mean, what do we do? And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees, calls them out, and then Jesus turns and looks at the man with the withered hand, and instead of calling them out, he heals them. He heals the man, and he simply says this, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. That's it. That's all the work that it took. The word of Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Healing is no work to Jesus. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. In the face of criticism, Jesus does the right thing. When everybody's watching him, wanting to see what Jesus is going to do, Jesus takes the stand when the Pharisees were silent and Jesus takes the stand. 
And Jesus says that he's going to do the right thing. Even when people are watching, even when people are criticizing, even when there's opposition and resistance, Jesus stands up and Jesus does the right thing. Now, Jesus didn't have to do it this way. I mean, he could have done it any way that he wanted to do it. I mean, the guy could have just been in the back and as Jesus is preaching, he could have kind of pulled his hand out and be like, whoa, hey, how did that happen? Jesus could have done it that way. I mean, Jesus could have said at the end of a sermon, everybody bow your head, close your eyes. If you have a withered hand, just slip it up. I see that hand in the back. I mean, Jesus could have done it that way. Jesus could have said, you know, hey, Peter, there's a dude in the back. I saw him when he came in. I think he's got a withered hand. Why don't you go over there and talk to him? And maybe after the sermon, he'll stick around and I'll pray for him. I don't want to do it publicly because I don't want to cause a scene. I don't really want to start a fight. I don't want the Pharisees to see it. I don't want anybody to get offended. I don't want to really cause a scene. I don't want to make it a big deal. So let's just do it privately. He could have done that. But that's not what he did. He could have said, hey, you know what? Um, I really want to heal you today, but I can't. So how about this? Tuesday is my healing day. So um, why don't you just call the office, get with my secretary, and we'll set up an appointment. You can come over and then I'll heal you that day because, well, I mean, I guess I could heal you today, but it's just, a, you know, the Sabbath and the Pharisees I don't want to really get involved. So just come back later. He could have done that, but that's not what he did. Jesus brings the guy up on stage publicly in front of God and everybody, including the Pharisees, with everybody watching, wanting to see what is it that Jesus is going to do? What is he going to do? Because they know he's not supposed to do what he's about to do. And Jesus does it anyway. In the face of criticism, in the face of resistance and opposition, Jesus stands up and he does the right thing, even when it's not popular. So here's my question for you. Will you be like Jesus and do the right thing even when it's not popular? Will you be like Jesus and stand up for what's right and the true word of God in the face of opposition or will you cave to culture and give in to societal pressures? Will you stand up and do the right thing? See, when we read this, what you need to understand is this story is not about a miracle. Okay, this story is really about a culture. This story is about the Pharisees who are trying to impose on Jesus and try to get Jesus to bow to them. That's what this is about, that Jesus is facing pressure, that he's facing resistance to cave in and to give in to their religious systems. They want Jesus to bow before them, and Jesus, he refuses to do so. And Jesus, he stands up, and Jesus, he fights back, and Jesus stands up, and he stands up for the right thing. See, here's what you need to think, right? When we read this, we, we look at the Pharisees, and, and we say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. They seem to be getting worked up about nothing. Like, it almost seems like it takes takes more work to get worked up about not working than the amount of work that it took to heal the guy. And then they get all upset and bent out of shape and they begin to argue and criticize and they get very ridiculing of Jesus. And that seems like it takes more work. You're like, Pharisees, what is your problem? Here's what you need to know about the Pharisees, that the Pharisees, they set the culture. 
The Pharisees, they determined the culture in first century Judaism. They were the working class people. So they're the blue collar religious leaders. There's a couple of scribes. They make all the rules. The Pharisees are the ones that enforce them. And so if you want to be anybody, you got to go through the Pharisees. If you want to be accepted, if you want to be loved, if you want to be a part of the church, then you got to go through the Pharisees. You want to get your kids into a good school? Well, then you got to go through the Pharisees. You want to get a good job? Then you got to go through the Pharisees. You want to give your tithes and offerings. You want to have your sacrifice blessed. You want to have your prayers heard by God. You want to be anyone. You want to do anything. Then you have to go through the Pharisees. The Pharisees determine the culture. The Pharisees, they set the tone. These are the rules. These are the regulations. You want to be important. You want to be special. Then you need to be like us. You need to believe like us, behave like us, act like us, think like us. This is the way the world worked in first century Judaism. And today we hear that and we're like, well, that's kind of weird. Okay, because the Pharisees, they pursued after holiness. Today we know nothing about it. Right? Today, we don't really know nothing about holiness. That's all they did. They went beyond the Bible, and they were like, we're going to be so, so good, then God must love us. God has to love us because we'll look at us and all the works that we do. They're pursuing after holiness, but today, we're going in the opposite direction. Today, we're pursuing after worldliness. Some people are like, well, you're just a Pharisee. Okay, listen, a lot of you are about as close to being Pharisees as I'm as likely to get pregnant. Like, it's just not going to happen because we're pursuing the opposite direction. So for them, they're going towards holiness. Today, the culture and climate is trending towards worldliness. And so the whole climate of the culture today is do whatever you want. That it's your life. You can do what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. That it's your body. Nobody can tell you what to do with that. That you, know, you can have sex with whomever, whenever. You can work wherever you want. Spend your money however you want. There's no one that you have to impress but yourself. The only person that you're going to have to give an account to is the one who meets you in the mirror every single morning because functionally you are your own God and it's your life. You do you. That's the cultural climate of the day. And it's the same way in Jesus day. One way is holiness. One way is worldliness. And both ways are in opposition against Jesus. And what I'm saying is this, whether you're on one side or the other, you're not going to get bonus points waving the Jesus flag. Not a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you stand for Jesus and standing up for what's right. And everybody disagrees with you. We've heard about you people. Right. But my question is this. Will you stand up for what's right, even when it's not popular? I'll give you an example from from my own life. Okay, When me and Ashley first started dating, we were not um, we were sexually active. Okay, so we got together, sexually active, and I tell you this all the time. That's why I say don't date or don't sleep with someone you're not married with. You know, guys, don't sleep with the girls. Girls, don't move in with your boyfriend. Don't do it. And you say, but Byron, that's very hypocritical of you because you did it. And I say, no, I was an idiot, and I learned from my mistakes, and I'm trying to prevent you from a lot of heartbreak later on. And so that's the reason I tell you. When me and Ashley started dating, we were sexually active. But then we started became a Christian, started reading our Bibles, we got involved in the church, we joined a community group, and as we're sitting there reading our Bible, we realized, uh, this is sin, right? We're reading and it says, okay, you know, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, keep the marriage bed, undeviled, right? Called you fornicators. That's an F word we never heard before, fornicator. We're like, I think we should knock this off. And so we started praying, we repented of our sins, and we decided we're going to keep our hands to ourselves, and we practiced celibacy for about a year before we got married. And so as we're doing that, 
I started working at a restaurant, and at the end of the shift, um, I'm hanging out with some of the guys, and they begin to talk about the girls that we worked with. It's always guys talking about girls, dumb guys. I don't know why they do it. So they're talking about these girls and how they wanted to have sex with them and bring them back to their place and what they would do. And I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm just like appalled. Right? I'm, and I stand up and I say, hey, you know what? Like, that's not funny. Like, you shouldn't talk about women like that. That's not a joke. You're a joke. You need to stop. And I stood up and I said something. They're like, whoa, Byron, like, come on, bro. You just need to calm down. It's really not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody has sex. I'm sure you and Ashley are having sex. And I was like, actually, we're not. Right, we, like, what do you mean you don't have sex? Like, how do you not have sex with your girlfriend? And I was like, uh, because uh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love her. I honor her. They're like, oh, you have to test drive a car before you buy it. And I was like, women are not property. Be test driven. That's not the way this works. And so you need to stop talking about women like that. And they just laughed at me. And you know, it's a weird day when you get laughed at for respecting women. But that's the way that the world works today. Oh, you think sex outside of marriage is sin? You want to be holy before marriage? Well, the Bible is sexually repressive. Oh, you believe that Jesus is the only way? You're intolerant. You oppose abortion? Well, then you hate women, right? You don't support gay marriage? Then you're a bigot, right? You think that the Bible is God's book, like God wrote a book? Really? Wow. I didn't know they made people like you anymore. You're dumb. That's stupid. You're arrogant. You're ignorant. You're a hypocrite. You're wrong. And it's amazing how loving and tolerant everyone is until you disagree with them. And then they become no different than the Pharisees. See, there's both sides of the argument. There's the Pharisees and then there's the world, right? There's those who pursue after holiness, going beyond the Bible and becoming disobedient. And then there's those who reject the Bible and instead of pursuing holiness, they just pursue after worldliness. On both sides of the debate, there are wrestling, fighting, arguing, criticizing, against Jesus. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to be like Jesus and stand up and do the right thing? See, Jesus, he does not bow his knee to anyone. Everyone in this text, they're saying, Jesus, here's the way that it has to be. Here's the culture. Here's the climate. This is what you need to do. You want to be one of us. You want to be like us. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cave to your culture. I'm not going to bow to your society. I'm not going to bend my knee to anyone. And instead, Jesus stands up and he does what is right. Jesus will not be co-opted to fit any agenda. Jesus, he will not cave to any culture. He will not give in to the fear of man. Jesus stands up and he does the right thing. And so my question for you is, do you have the courage to live according to the scriptures, even when it's not popular? Do you have the confidence to live according to your convictions, even when it might cost you everything? Do you have the strength and the boldness? Do you have the discipline to live your life in a way to be like Jesus and stand up and do the right thing, even when it's not popular? See, here's, here's where our, our big challenge is a lot today. It's because you have two sides of this argument. Right? Here's where we find ourselves. You have the legalists, which would be the Pharisees. They make their rules and their laws, and those are the legalists. The goal is not for you to become a legalist. Right? But also, we don't want you to go in the opposite direction and become a liberal, to where you reject the Bible and you come up with your own rules and laws and you enforce them on other people. Both are wrong. We don't want you to be a legalist. We don't want you to be a liberal. We want you to be like Jesus. And so Jesus comes and he stands up for what's right. Even in the face of opposition, in the face of criticism and ridicule and resistance, Jesus, he takes his stand. One day is going to come where you too are going to have to take a stand, and Jesus, he stands. Now for the Pharisees, 
they're busted. They're caught, right? They're like, we tried to get them, couldn't get them, right? He turned the tables on us. We thought we had them. We don't have them, right? Jesus, he did a reversal, and now he's got them in the clinch. Now they're in the chokehold, and now they have to tap. And you would think at this part, the Pharisees would be like, you know what, Jesus, you're right. We're wrong. We're done. Game over. Like, we're going to go home. You would think that for the Pharisees, they would have been like, okay, hey, you know what? This is really not that big of a deal. We just kind of made a big deal about nothing, right? I mean, yeah, it took a little, that's uh, not a lot of work. You know what? It's all good. Jesus, we're sorry. Um, you think they would do that. They'd say, you know, Jesus is preaching. It's a pretty good sermon. Wow, a dude just got healed. That's amazing. Today's a pretty good day. I'm going to go home and kiss my wife, right? You'd think that that's what they would do, but that's not what they would do. The story, it continues, and the Pharisees, they determine, they decide that they're going to they're going to double down. So here's what we see. Last verse in six. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel. Right? Mark's favorite word, immediately. Right? 42 times in the gospel. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Like the Pharisees, they're so upset. They're like, oh, immediately. We have to go hold a committee meeting. So they go and they get over all the people together and they get into a council with the Herodians. Now the Herodians are the exact opposite of the Pharisees. So if the Pharisees are the legalists, the Herodians, well, they're the liberals. Okay? The Pharisees, they live by the Bible. The Herodians, they reject it. See, the Pharisees, what the Pharisees are is they're very religious. The Herodians, they work for Rome. And they have no care about Jesus outside of crowd control. So both parties hate Jesus, oppose Jesus, and here's what they want to do. They want to destroy him. We're in Mark chapter 3, and we're finally seeing the picture of Jesus come into completion, right? This is the first time in Mark's gospel that we're beginning to see the plan of Jesus' execution come on the scene. Jesus has come, entered into this world, ultimately, so that he would be destroyed. Jesus knows this from the beginning. He's not hiding anything. He's not pulling anything back. Mark knows Jesus was come to be destroyed. Here we see that the Pharisees and the Rodians begin to plot against Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus came so that he would die. Jesus left heaven, entered into this world. Jesus comes preaching, teaching, all to reveal the kingdom of God, the day in which God's rule and reign will be made evident in this world to where all sin will be defeated, where all disease will be healed, every tear will be wiped away, and the ultimate picture and promise of God's vision will be made evident in the world, in your life, in my life. That's the reason that Jesus came. And Jesus came and he lived the sinless life a life without sin. And Jesus, he goes to the cross. He lives the perfect life in the cross that he died in our place, that Jesus was arrested. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was crucified. Jesus, he was destroyed. This story is not about a miracle. This story is actually about a murder. These men are plotting the murder of Jesus, that they are quick to shed innocent blood, but by that blood, we are saved. And so the fight starts in the synagogue, but it goes to the cross. The fight starts on the Sabbath, but it goes to the grave. And as they think that they have Jesus defeated, that Jesus is destroyed, they've won, that Jesus was crucified, he was beaten, bloody, battered, bruised, his body was broken, he was thrown in that grave, Jesus is down for the counts. 
But then there's one, two, three days later, Jesus takes his stand. That Jesus resurrects and Jesus, he defeats Satan and Jesus destroys sin and Jesus destroys death and Jesus destroys shame and Jesus destroys religion and Jesus resurrects triumphantly and Jesus takes his stand victoriously because Jesus came to pick a fight. Jesus comes and he picks a fight with the Pharisees. But Jesus also wants to pick a fight with you. Because the truth is, we're a lot more like the Pharisees than we care to admit. See, we can read this and we can think, those Pharisees are terrible. They're so horrible. I can't believe those Pharisees. I sure am glad I'm not a Pharisee. And then you just become another Pharisee. There's a Pharisee inside of all of us. Do you ever see somebody you're like, oh, I can't believe they're here. Right? Then you're on the way to religion. Right? You're on your way to becoming a Pharisee. Somebody joins your community group and you're like, no, not that group. Right? Then you're on your way to becoming a Pharisee. You think, I'm a holy person. I'm very good. I read my Bible. I pray. Right? I'm, a, I'm a good person. And then you see someone else's Snapchat and you're like, I can't believe them. Why would they come to church? Right? Then you're on your way to being a Pharisee. There's a little Pharisee inside of all of us. We just need to be honest with that. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says that, that the default mode of the human heart is religion. That we all like to surround ourselves with people that we look better than so we can present ourselves to be righteous. That our life is wanting to earn our salvation due to our works. Religion is the default mode of the human heart. And so we just need to be honest with ourselves that we are a lot more like the Pharisees than we care to admit. And even in a church like ours, Right to where everyone's like, oh, so glad I'm not religious, right? We're rebellious. And you're like, eh, that's kind of the same thing. Right? We're like, oh, yeah, look at all those legalists over there. I can't believe those people, right? And then we sit over here and we spoke our palm malls and we judge them, right? And you're like, I'm so glad I'm not a legalist. And our propensity is that we tend to lean towards liberalism. So everybody drinks craft beer, vapes, and listens to bands that nobody's ever heard of. And we can stand over here and be like, oh, look at all those terrible legalist religious churches. Glad we're not one of those while we smoke our menthol cigarettes and judge them. Right? And we have the same propensity to do the exact same thing. And so here's what I could do. I could sit here and I could rail on all the liberals and all the legalists and be like, yeah, you get those skinny jean Democrats. And then on the other side, I can make fun of all of the, the legalists and everybody else is like, yeah, you get all those religious people while we don't recognize that there's a Pharisee inside of all of us. And so what I have to do is this. Can't just make fun of one group. I make fun of both groups because there's a Pharisee inside of all of us and I love you. And so we got we to gotta get in a fight. So here's what I'm going to do. Okay? I am going to show you how to fight your inner Pharisee. I'm going to give you seven ways that you are a Pharisee. So go ahead, put your cup on. We're going to have seven ways that you are a Pharisee, and I'm going to give you one way to fight it each time. Okay, so here's the first way that you are a Pharisee, that you say one thing, but you do another. Okay, we all know this person. You say one thing, you tell people what they need to do and what they should do and what they got to do, and this is what you have to do, but then when push comes to shove, you don't, you don't do it. In fact, most of you, some of you, most people, they don't do anything at all. They just say, here's what you need to do. But me, no, I'm not really going to do anything. And that's the way that most people live. And, and it's very easy for us to fall into this, especially because of social media. And in social media, you can say a lot of things and not actually do anything. 
that you can click and share and like and you can retweet and you can you know subscribe and you can get into arguments in the you know the comment section and you can tell everyone just exactly what they're supposed to do and you don't even have to get off your couch to do it and you say one thing and you do another. This is called virtue signaling. It's where you want to take the moral high ground on social media, make everybody think that you know what you're talking about, when instead you just don't really do anything. right? And so here's how you fight your inner Pharisee. You need to be consistent. If you say you're going to do something, go do it. right? If you say you believe in something, then you need to put some skin in the game. You need to get up and you need to put your faith into action. If you say you really stand for something, then you actually need to get up and do something about it. You need to be consistent with what you say and also what you do. See, the Pharisees, they say that they're holy, but they don't really do anything. They say they care about people, but when it comes to doing good or doing harm, they don't do anything. They say one thing and they do another. One way you can be a Pharisee is if you do this. So here's what you need to do instead. Instead of saying one thing, doing another, you need to be, you need to be consistent. You need to not just preach, but you also need to practice what you preach. You need to be consistent in your life. So that's the, that's the first way. The second way is this, that you only practice your faith when people are watching. Okay, when you come to church on Sunday, man, you are the most faithful person, right? You show up five minutes before church starts and you the music plays and you lift your hands. You're sitting third row, hands are up. You're worshiping, you're singing. You know all the words to all the Bethel songs. You can speak in tongues. You brought your Bible, your real Bible, not your phone Bible. You have one of those analog Bibles and you come and you read from your Bible and you follow along with all the sermon notes. You joined a community group. Wow, look how holy you are. But when you go home, somebody else. You only practice your faith when people are watching. So when you're at church, oh yeah, you're so holy. But when you go home, you're a totally different person. That's exactly what it is to be a Pharisee. That you only practice. See, the Pharisees, they love going to church because everybody gets to see them. And they get to see it. Oh, look how holy the Pharisees are. Look how righteous the Pharisees are. They fast two times a week. They don't even help people on the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, those people are so holy. Look at them, right? But when they go home, what do they do? Right? They don't do anything. They say one thing, they do another, and they only practice their faith when people are watching. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he was telling me a story about a person at their previous church. And this guy, he was a very important person. Everybody looked up to him and they were like, you know, and he came down on him and was like, this is what you have to do. And this is what the Bible says. And this is how you have to live. And here's the notes and here's a clipboard. And here's all the things that you need to do. And you need to keep a control on your son. And he's telling him all these things that you have to do. And then the dude hires his son to come work for him. And then the son's like, Hey, here's the things that my dad does at home. And that guy was a Pharisee. It caused him to lose respect for the church and for that man because that guy was a Pharisee. He said, here's one thing, but at home he was somebody else. Your kids notice these things, by the way. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. You say one thing, you do another thing, and you only practice your faith when people are watching. So here's how you fight it. You fight it by being vulnerable. Your inner Pharisee hates vulnerability. Now, if you're excited about Jesus, praise God. Be excited about Jesus. If you're passionate 
Be passionate about the Lord, right? Don't fake it, right? Come to church, raise your hands. We want you to raise your hands, right? We want you to lift your hands up. We want you to sing loud. Hey, we want you to pray and see if God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. We want you to join a community group. We want you to do all of those things, but we don't want you to fake it, right? We want you to experience it, and we want you to be vulnerable about it. If you want to fight your Pharisee, you need to be vulnerable. Pharisees hate vulnerability because here's what it means. I have some doubts. I'm not perfect, right? I've been wrestling with this. You know, I've been fighting with Jesus this week and it's been pretty tough. And so you get around other people, you let them speak into your life and then you're honest. Your hands are raised, but your heart is open. You need to be vulnerable. Your Pharisee hates vulnerability. Number three, you lead people away from Jesus, not towards him. Okay, you need to understand this. In your life, everything you do is either leading people to Jesus or you're leading people from him. Everything you do. Okay, so at work, right, how you work your job, you are leading people to Jesus or you're leading people from him, right? When they see you as you're going and you're going to college, Okay, you're leading people to them or you're leading people from them. There is no neutral ground. And so at home, right, husbands, right, the way that you lead your family, you're leading them to Jesus, you're leading them from him. Wives, the way that you love your husband, the way that you treat the family, the way that you lead in the home, that's leading to or it's leading from. For parents working with your kiddos, whether single moms or whether, you know, families together, you're leading your kids to Jesus or you're leading them from him. Everything you do, is leading to or from. Now, the Pharisees, they know better than this. They're the religious gatekeepers of the first community. They read their Bibles. They pray. They know God, right? They have this verses memorized. They got perfect systematic theology, but everything they do keeps people from Jesus. They have all the answers, but they don't actually know who Jesus is. And we can fall into the same trap that we don't lead people to him. Instead, our lives are leading people from him. So here's how you fight that Pharisee. Number four is, number three, rather, is that you need to be missional. Okay, understand that God has saved you for a purpose. God has saved you for a reason. And he has a mission for your life. And the mission for God, of God for your life, is not for you to die and go to heaven. I know that's what they told you, but that's not it. Right? The, God's plan for your life is not just so you can pray a prayer, die, and go to heaven. Right? Heaven's great. But God's plan is that we bring heaven to earth and bring as many people to heaven with us as possible. God has a mission for you. He died for a reason for you, that you are saved, but you're also being sent. And so you need to live your life as a missionary and lead as many people to Jesus as possible. Then number four, you go beyond the Bible with your beliefs. See, the Pharisees, they love the Bible. And I love the Bible, but here's the problem. They go beyond the Bible that they say, okay, here's what the Bible says, and then here's what we say. And we're going to come up with additional rules and regulations that God didn't say, but our word is going to be just as important as God's word. And they go beyond the Bible. One of the best ways for you to become a Pharisee is for you to go beyond the Bible with your beliefs. So let me give you just a couple of examples, okay? All right, let's talk about alcohol, right? Oh, you can't drink alcohol because that's a sin, right? The Bible doesn't say that. Right? The Bible doesn't say alcohol is a sin. What it says is don't get drunk. Okay, So getting drunk is a sin. If you're an alcoholic, if you're an addict, don't drink because, well, that's just not smart for you. And if you're around an addict or an alcoholic, don't encourage them. Don't drink in front of them because, well, you don't want to help your brother stumble. But drinking alcohol all across the board is a sin 
Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It says don't get drunk. And here's what you have to do. If you go beyond the Bible, it leaves you in some very weird theological, probably unbiblical, maybe even sinful places. Because then you have to say, oh, well, drinking alcohol is a sin. Therefore, Jesus sinned. Would anybody be bold enough to say that? No, but that's what you have to say. Jesus made water into wine. Okay, that was really just grape juice. I know Welch came around the 1800s, but you know, Jesus, he took water and turned it into grape juice. That's not what actually happened. So did Jesus sin by making alcohol? No. Did he sin by giving alcohol to people at the party? No. And then you have to say, Paul said to young Timothy, oh, you're anxious, you're nervous, have a little wine. It's good for your stomach. And it's also a good way to go to hell. He didn't say that. Okay. And so, but if you go beyond the Bible with your beliefs, then that's what you have to do. Okay, let's just do a couple more because these are fun. What about tattoos, right? I had one woman tell me one time at my last church, she said, she said, oh, you have tattoos. And I said, where? No. Um, she said, you have tattoos. You've entered into a blood covenant with Satan. You're going to hell. I said, oh, wow. Okay. Um, let's talk about this, right? So in Leviticus, it says, do not mark your body. Okay, and so many people, they read that and they're like, oh, tattoos, right? Okay, if you are a priest from the line of Aaron and you're serving in temple worship and you begin to cut yourself, pour hot ashes of dead people in your body to worship false demon gods, then yeah, if that's you, don't get tattoos. That's a sin. <laughs> but for the rest of us, just tat it up. It's okay. Like God... God's not really up there going like, oh man, right? Totally took it. Okay, so, so there's that. Okay, so drinking and tattoos and vaping and smoking. Look, smoking's not smart, but it's not a sin. You can't say that it's a sin. The Bible doesn't say that. And when you start coming up with all these rules and these lists and these laws, well, then you have to go beyond the Bible. Now, other people, right, they're just the opposite direction, right? You're like, you don't, you're like I don't even believe the Bible. Here's all these rules. And then you start coming up with other rules that you have to enforce. Like you have to adopt pets from this place and you have to recycle from this place and you can't smoke on airplanes and you have to vote for this party and you have to believe these things and you have to follow this and retweet that and follow that person. And it's just the same thing in the other direction. You go beyond the Bible, you reject the Bible. Either way, you're just making up your own beliefs and you're wanting to enforce them on other people. So here's what you, how you fight it. Right? You fight it by being faithful. If you notice this, Jesus, he never sins. He, he, never, he, he never falls short of God's word, but he also never goes beyond it. Instead, Jesus, he is faithful to it. So if you want to fight your Pharisee, you need to be faithful to the word of God. That you read the word, you know the word, you study the word, you pray the word, you get around with other people who also know the word. And when you have questions about it, you're able to talk about the word of God. Instead of rejecting it, instead of adding to it, taking away from it, how about simply just trying to be faithful to it? and fight your Pharisee. The fifth way is this, that you make people feel unwelcome at church. Okay, that's a great way for you to be a Pharisee and to get kicked out of our church. Okay, if you make people feel unwelcome, you notice this, it's almost like the Pharisees go out of their way just to make people feel uncomfortable, right? And they see people in church, they're like, you don't belong here, and you don't belong here, and you don't belong here, and you're not like us, and you're not one of us, and you're not like us. And Jesus comes along, and they say, unwelcome, and what does Jesus do? He welcomes them. See, the Pharisees are like, get out of here. And Jesus says, come here. One of the best ways for you to be a Pharisee is for you to be unwelcoming in the church. Okay, and so when you come to church and you see someone and it looks like they don't fit in, here's what you need to do. You need to stretch out your hand and you need to make sure that they're welcomed. Here's how you fight it. Hospitality. 
your Pharisee hates hospitality. When you see someone who doesn't look like you, that they didn't vote for the same politician as you, that they don't dress the same way as you, they don't listen to the same music as you, they're in a different community, come from a different religion or background, then you need to be as welcoming as possible. Go out of your way to build relationship because that's what Jesus would do. See, I'll tell you this redemption. Let me just say this. I would rather our church be filled with withered hands than hard hearts. I would love for our church to be filled with withered hands because Jesus can restore withered hands, but he has to remove a hard heart. I would rather redemption be filled with withered hands than a bunch of Pharisees with hard hearts. So here's how we fight it. We fight it by being hospitable. Number six is that you don't love people who are in need. Pharisees see the man. Oh, he's suffering. It would be a shame if we actually helped him. Right. Ooh, that sounds inconvenient. This is the holy day. This is the Sabbath. This is my day, and I'm not really going to help anybody. Right, but that's the same thing that we do in our lives. Oh, you're poor? Mm, get a job. I don't want to help you. Oh, that was touchy, right? Okay. And so we say things like this. We're like, oh, that person needs help. Somebody should really get on that. You know, I don't want to do it because then that's going to make me feel uncomfortable, and then that's going to ruin my day, and this day is about me, and I don't really want to do anything. And so we don't love people who are in need. The Pharisees see the man with the withered hand and they don't want to do anything. You know what? It's just so amazing to me that we spent the most of our lives avoiding people that Jesus was sent here to heal. And we don't love people who are in need. The Pharisees, they see this man, they don't love him. All they care about is themselves. They, they don't want to help him. They just want to further their reputation. They don't love people who are in need. So here's how you fight it. Be compassionate. You need to be compassionate. Do you love what God loves? Do you care for people the way that God cares for people? Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? See, here it says Jesus got angry. Who did he get angry at? The hard hearts. You notice Jesus never yells at a sick person. Jesus never yells at the sinners. Jesus never yells at the prostitute. But he does get angry at the Pharisees, at their hard hearts, because he came to love. And you want to sit there and judge. And you spend your whole life trying to avoid the same people that he came here to see loved and served and saved. You don't help people who are in need and you need to be compassionate. And then lastly, number seven, here's how you be a Pharisee. You cover your sin instead of confessing it. When the Pharisees were confronted with their sin, they ran out and they got the Herodians to plot on how to kill Jesus. They tried to cover it up. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? Do you try to hide it? Do you try to justify it? The Pharisees were like, no, 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 here's the way that it is. And they want to justify themselves. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? Do you go and you get other people to join your team? Do you have your own little committee and bring everybody over and be like, I can't believe they said that and this is what happened. Come pat me on the back and tell me how awesome a person I am and just say, oh, it was a boo-boo, it was a mistake, it was not that big of a deal. You have some pressure points, we've got some room to grow in, but I don't really think you're, it's, it's all right, right? What do you do? Do you justify yourself? Do you blame shift? Oh, it's not my fault, it's their fault. 
Or do you hide and isolate? Do you retreat and pull away because you don't want anybody to know? What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? See, I think a lot of people, we don't actually participate in Christian community because we're too afraid of being confronted with our shortcomings. We want to hide. We want to cover up. We want to conceal instead of confess. See, if the Pharisees would have just confessed, or they say, you know what, Jesus? Oh, you got us. My bad. He would have forgiven them. Yeah, he, he restored their hand, but he could have replaced their heart in that moment if they were willing to, but instead they go and they try to cover it up. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? Here's how you fight it. Repentance. You need to be repentant, to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus. You say, you know what, Jesus? You're right. I am a Pharisee. Thank you for picking a fight with me. You know, you're loving, I'm not loving. You're kind, I'm not kind. You're compassionate. I'm not compassionate. God, I don't have your heart. Lord, would you give me your heart? Would you take my heart that's hard and give me a heart that's soft and tender towards you and towards people? Would you forgive me? And in that moment, Jesus, he would have forgave him. And today, Jesus, he wants to forgive you as well. See, everybody wants a withered hand, but nobody wants to admit they have a hard heart. See, the gospel is so easy to preach to withered hands. I could stand up here and I could preach that withered hand sermon all day long. Who's got a withered hand? Stretch out your hands. We talk about hard hearts, everybody gets quiet. Because nobody wants to admit that there's a Pharisee in all of us. That we can sit here and we can judge the people we read in this book or we can look in the mirror and we can get in a fight. See, the good news is this. The gospel's for everybody. It's for withered hands, and it's for hard hearts. And he can restore your withered hand, but he can also replace that hard heart. And he can give you a new life. He can give you a new nature. He can give you a new heart. So if you've got a withered hand, we'd love to pray for you. If you've got a hard heart, we'd love to get in a fight. Because Jesus came to fight. He came to destroy. He came to set you free. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.